0: what up world it's your past first point guard and blazer beat writer mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of locked on blazers part of the locked on podcast network available wherever you get podcasts it's a mailbag monday here at the locked on blazers headquarters that means we're doing a full episode answering your questions here's how it works i solicit questions on twitter my handle is at mike g rich You send them to me. I answer them here on the show. We'll do three full segments answering your questions. We do this every week. I solicit questions Monday morning, record the episode Monday night. And if you want to get involved, either watch my Twitter feed on Monday morning, West Coast time, when I solicit questions, or just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of them, at MikeGRich on Twitter. I got the internet. I'll know where to save them. Just shoot them my way, and I'll answer them on next week's show. We do this every week. It's fun for me, fun for you. Let's get to it. Our first question comes from Bruce Clues, at Bruise underscore clues on Twitter, who asks, how much of the Blazer struggles do you put on injury versus just poor roster construction by Neil Olshay? Blazers are now 6-12 after beating a pretty bad Bulls team to close out a road trip 2-4. and Probably not where they wanted to be, Certainly not where they want it to be. So where where do I put the blame? It's hard for me to place it entirely on injuries. They knew Yusuf Nurkic was going to be out until February. They knew that when he got hurt last March. They understood the timeline. Then they cannot he is cannot be factored into the injury like un, bad luck. That bad luck happened in March, not in July when they rebuilt this team. Having Paul Gasol get injured stinks. It stinks, and it it it. it Really, um, it was a bummer for their plans. It was a bummer because Palgasol's fun and it would have been fun to watch him play. But he's 39, year olds, 39 years old and he had foot surgery in March. You had to know this was a possibility. Can't call that bad luck either, really. He barely played last season and elected to have foot surgery in May. He wasn't ready five months later, six months later. He's almost 40 years old. Come on. And then the final injury luck, Zach Collins. Yeah, that, that was bad luck because the Blazers designed this whole roster to, for him to play 30 minutes a night. But they also designed this roster with almost no power forwards on it. Banking that Pau Gasol at age 39 and Zach Collins would never miss any time so they wouldn't have to turn to 34-year-old Anthony Tolliver to play huge minutes who's, who's been kind of a nightmare. So I mostly am going to point towards poor roster construction. Obviously, the injury luck has been, bad luck has been more than that. Rodney Hood has been hurt. Uh, Whiteside has been hurt. Dame has missed a couple games. It hasn't just been those, but those are the, the, the front line getting hurt or being hurt has been a big deal. But I think this, this season has been this way because of the roster itself. I said before the season started that they just didn't have any power forwards, and then it's really, really been true. They're just really thin up front. That's not Terry Stotts' fault. That's not injury f- Injury's fault. Speaking of Terry Stotts, a lot of you wanted to know. Is it time to fire the head coach? So let's answer a couple of those questions. This next one comes from Blazer Tag Podcast, at blazertag PDX on Twitter, and who asks, Sadly, the anti-Stotts faction is out in full force. Is he truly the one to blame for lack of effort plays, box out and screens, ISO heavy play, and the inability to knock down open shots? Even though these are coachable things, the underperforming rally falls on the players, right? Yeah, you're kind of leading me there, Blazer Tag. You're kind of leading me. I know which way you go, but I tend to agree with you. Uh, I think Terry has done an okay job, all things considered. I don't know what he loves so much about Anthony Tolliver. Even before the injuries, he had Anthony Tolliver penciled in to be part of this rotation. That's a thing you can blame on him. I think... He's really committed to playing Damon CJ most of their minutes together, which led to some all bench units early in the season, which was kind of a nightmare. That's something you can blame on him. But the rest of the stuff seems to be just talent. Uh, the box out thing is the thing people notice, but I looked this up. Last year, the Blazers were this is NBA tracking data. I kind of hate this data, but I'll just give it to you for instance. Uh, the Blazers last year were 25th in the league in box outs, defensive box outs per game. They weren't good at boxing out. They were one of the best rebounding teams in the league. This year, they're 26 in defensive box-out per game, according to NBA's tracking numbers. They are the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA. That tells me that no one boxes out in the league, or maybe no one boxes out in the Blazers, and that it really comes down to sort of some ability and want to on, on the defensive glass, some skills reading the ball, just some, some sort of early work to get into the position. To me... That speaks to players, less to coaches. Also, the screen stuff. It's like Terry Sots is begging Hassan Whiteside so just said heavy screens. Is not doing it. The ISO play. Listen, that's who these guys are. It's an unfortunate function of this offense. But uh, if you're going to have Damon C.J. be the ones who score the bulk of your points, you're kind of going to watch games that look like this. If you're going to add Carmelo Anthony to the mix, you're getting more ISO stuff. To me, I don't blame the coach. I blame the roster. Don't think Terry's done his best job but I don't think he's the one to blame. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus who asks, there's an increase from the Firestots crowd on Twitter. Given that the Blazers have traditionally been one of the top offensive teams in the league, are the current offensive woes more of scheme or personnel issue? I think it's both. I, I think the scheme hasn't changed too much, but it's hard to radically change things with new players. But I also think it's personnel and not just because like some of the guys are bad at running the offense, mostly just because, The Blazers didn't design a lot of their playbook with the idea that they'd be playing super small and having Nazir Little play a lot of power forward. They didn't design a playbook with the idea that Carmelo Anthony was going to play 25 minutes a night or even be on the roster. They probably didn't look at this team. and I just don't think the plan has gone according to what they thought the plan was going to be. Now you can question the plan in general. But I think uh, the offensive woes are more about sort of the personnel not fitting and then not having the sort of just, it's hard to adjust in season. It's hard to make changes. They, they happen slowly. So 15 games in, it's hard to totally overhaul your offense if it's not working. I do think I'm much more concerned about the Blazers being an average NBA offense right now than I am a below average NBA defense. Them being bad on offense, to me, Matt, Reverend Matt, is a bigger indictment of stats than them being bad on defense. Okay, one more. It's about the it's in the, the same vein. Did a little stats organization here up front of the show. And our final stats question comes from Dana Meyer at Magic Dino on Twitter, who asks, Is Stotz's flow offense too difficult to understand? With pretty much the same team as he had when they beat the Rockets in Stotz's second year, Stotz's first year was twenty-one games worse in the win column. Is that what we're seeing now? Too many new faces not getting it? So I think what Dana's asking is, uh, will it take a full season for guys to kind of pick up on the offense? I think there's some truth to that. Uh, Terry Stotts' offense is is gigantic. Steve Blake used to joke that it was an encyclopedia when you picked up the uh, playbook which was a weird joke since the playbook was digital as far as I understand. It was on an iPad, but, you know, Steve Blake's old school. He can make book jokes. But I, I asked specifically earlier this season when I talked to Evan Turner after the Blazers beat the Hawks, I asked him, I asked him this question, basically. I said, is Stas's stuff hard to pick up? Like, is the reason that the Blazers are having trouble, is it hard to pick up? And ter- I asked Turner this because he kind of seemed to have trouble picking up Stotts' stuff. And he... he didn't concede that. He basically said that it's not the actions or the offense that's difficult. It's more about guys finding their fit next to Damon CJ. And I think this is pretty interesting. He's basically what what Evan was saying, and particularly for someone like him who wants to dribble a bunch, he was saying when the offense goes so much through Damon CJ, not only do you have to learn the actions and what you're looking for, and 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 where to cut and where to set a screen, and and when to go, when to make all those moves timing wise you have to understand like what Dame and CJ are going to do CJ has 37 different counter moves you can get in his way if you cut at the wrong time Dame can be deliberate with the way he works pick and rolls rejects the screen then goes says okay actually reset it now and I think what Turner was saying was that it takes a while maybe not to learn the offense necessarily but to learn how you're going to get buckets playing next to two ball dominant guards hasn't always been a struggle for the Blazers. In fact, usually this has been an above-average offensive team, a good offensive team. But I think what we're seeing now is some personnel stuff. Kent Bazemore can't make shots. Anthony Tolliver is barely an NBA player. Hassan Whiteside's an awkward fit just because he's not a great role man playing with one of the best pick-and-roll point guards in the league. Rodney Hood is useful, but he's uh, he can be up and down, and he likes to take a couple dribbles and get himself into his shots. So everybody needs space. Everybody needs to figure out where they fit. And I think, I think this team can get much better on offense. I don't think they're going to be a top 5 offensive team after watching them through 15 games, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if they climb into the top 8, top 10, no problem by the end of the season. But I think you have a good point, Dana. I think the new faces has been a slow adjustment. I think a lot of you are kind of catching on to what my biggest issue with this team is, and it's that they're bad on offense. The defensive woes aren't that big of a surprise. Y'all can read the roster like me. You know who's suiting up each night. But the offensive stuff is a surprise. I thought this was going to be a top-five offense, and they're not. Okay, more mailbag stuff coming up in the second segment. We talked a lot about Terry Stotts. We're going to move on. Talking mellow, trades, all that. All right, after a terry stott's heavy first segment we're going to switch things up but we're still in the throes of a mailbag monday so we're still answering your questions and this next one comes from peyton pdx Who asks, should fans be concerned about Dame's back? He's been durable, had a huge workload his whole career, basically, and he's aging a bit in NBA years. Is it time to recalibrate expectations for Dame? This seems like an overreaction to me a little bit, Peyton PDX. Before Dame's back spasms, he looked like one of the five best players in the NBA. Playing at the absolute height of his powers. Then he got hurt. He looked terrible. Looked bad against Cleveland after he took a couple days off. But I thought against the Bulls, he looked a lot better. He just physically looked a lot better. After that Cleveland game, he had an exchange in the locker room where multiple reporters, I think Jason Quick was the one who first asked him, Um, I was in the locker room, but I did watch the video, and he was just like, I felt fine. Why are you asking about me? I had no pain. Why are you asking about back problems? But it was clear in that Cleveland game that he was stiff. I thought he looked really stiff on defense, just the way he was holding himself and running around. Not a doctor, but I am a basketball fan. So yeah, I don't think you need to recalibrate your expectations about Dame. I do think you need to be honest about his health. He didn't look healthy. He looked healthy against the Bulls. He played a lot better. If he's hurt, he's not going to be good, but it ain't over for him yet. Still pretty good when he's healthy, we saw it in the first ten games of the season. Okay, next question comes from Mellow outrip city at justin b leak on twitter at justin underscore b underscore leak on Twitter. Excuse me, sorry for skipping the underscores. Justin asks what is the most disappointing blazer season you can remember before this one? Oh, the blazers have never had a disappointing season. Why do you ask um the two that come to mind? First, 2011-2012, the lockout season, when the Blazers were coming off a playoff berth, they had added new point guard Raymond Felton to the mix. They were supposed to be pretty good, and then by mid-season in February, they staged a mutiny and got Nate McMillan fired, and finished 28 and 38. That summer they drafted Damian Lode and things got better from there, but that 2011-2012 season was incredibly disappointing for a variety of reasons, including Raymond Felton, North Carolina alum, threatening to fight the fans. Actually not threatening to fight, welcoming a fight against the fans is probably a more, way to, more accurate way to describe it. Shout out to Ray Ray, still gets booed. More recently, the 2016-17 season, this is like the forgotten year, you guys need to remember this was not that long ago. Three seasons ago, the Blazers finished 41 and 41, and they were supposed to be good. This was supposed to be good, and they spent all that money. In the summer of 2016, they doubled down. They went 40. They won 44 games. They'd made the second round of the playoffs. They brought everybody back. They gave everybody a bag of cash, and they stunk. They were bad, and this, they only saved their season because they traded Mason Plumlee for a first-round pick and a forgotten. Basically a left-for-dead Bosnian beast. The Blazers didn't hold a press conference to announce the trade. Neil Olshay did an interview with Brooke Olsendam, that's in-house media, same person signs their checks, to be excited about getting a first-round draft pick. He did, he barely mentioned Yusuf Nurkic in the deal. Barely mentioned him, he was an afterthought. The Blazers were taking a risk and hoping that they could get a pick to salvage a lost season. Yusuf Nurkic turned out to be pretty good. Blazers went 41-41, and 41, crawled into the playoffs, got crushed in the postseason. Saved their season. Turns out to be this great trade while well, we look back and say, wow, can't believe they did that. It was a great trade. But the Blazers didn't think of it at the time. They thought it was a lost season. So yeah, I don't have to go that far back to remember a time when the Blazers were incredibly disappointing. It's a uh, recent history and things got better. So it's a reason why um, don't, don't give up hope just yet. Okay, this next question comes from Sir Weezy at Weezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, An ESPN expert argued that the Blazers should make a win-now move. With how the Blazers' season has turned out, and where, where are you on that issue? Would you trade a combination of lottery picks slash young guys for the Kevin Love, Blake Griffin type player? Would you trade Scal, Nas, or Zach to make it happen? I think I may have answered a question similar to this, but let me, let me be clear. I would make a like win-now type trade. Even if it doesn't help you win now. And here's my reasoning. One, the, the salary cap, this cap space in the summer will help the Blazers in theory. I don't think it really helps the Blazers in practice, particularly if they're trying to add a really good player. I think their best route to, si- to add really good players is to draft one or to trade for one. And because of the age of their best player and their second best player, I would argue that trading for someone and going for it in the brief window where Damian Lillard is going to be very, very good is the best move. Now, I understand that people are obsessed with asset accumulation and cap flexibility and all those nice things. And I think that that is a really responsible way to build a team. But I don't think the Blazers are in a position to be that patient. They thought they built a win-now roster this season. They don't have a year to reset. They, it's. I am in favor of chasing a Kevin Love, Blake Griffin type, even though those guys might not help a ton. Because the Blazers' window to have a shot at it is right now. It's not in a couple years when Damian Lillard is 32. So yeah. Oh, to answer the last part of your question, would I trade Scal, Nas, or Zach to make it happen? I would trade Scalabissier for almost any player who's good. Nazir Little, if he's the price, yes. Uh, I've been impressed with him. I think there's a question about him coming up. But, yeah, if that's the price it takes to get a Blake Griffin-level player, I think you have to do it. That's the risk you have to take. Would I trade Zach to make it happen? Probably depends on what the return is. He's the only one I would hesitate about. The other two gotta, you know, spend money to make money. Okay. Next question comes from Jake Smith at Jake's me 19 on Twitter, who asks who is the best realistic trade target for the blazers who can make them better? Or do you think they should just ride it out until we get healthy? I don't know when they're going to get healthy. My dude, like I, uh, when Yusuf Nurkic comes back in February, what's he going to look like? Even if he comes back in January, what's he like? What, what kind of player is he? I think you make a trade. Uh, I would... Realistic trade types, uh, I think the Blazers could go get someone like Thaddeus Young from the Chicago Bulls. I think they could probably go get someone like Taj Gibson from the New York Knicks. Veteran fours who could help them shore up an issue that they obviously have, uh, would accept a role-player type situation, and wouldn't necessarily break the bank in terms of what you would have to give up to acquire them. The other realistic targets, Kevin Love is a realistic target. The the reason why he keeps coming up is because he's a realistic target. With some combination of multiple draft picks and an expiring contract, the Blazers could go get him. Blake Griffin is the same way, but he might be so, so hurt and so kind of like wait and see on his health that the Blazers might hold off on that. Don't rule it out that the Blazers also try to maybe go get Andre Drummond. Same idea as Blake Griffin. Draft picks and expiring contracts could entice the Pistons who are headed in the wrong direction. Those are your realistic targets. And generally speaking, I don't play trade machine on this podcast, but for you, Jake, anything. Okay, next question comes from Justin Osland at Osland 7 on Twitter, who asks, I don't want to trade him, but assume that Philly doesn't make it out of the East this year. Ben Simmons for CJ this summer? Who says no? I think Justin, you may have found a situation where both teams do, but certainly Philly, certainly Philly, in my mind. Ben Simmons is flawed. He doesn't shoot outside the paint, although you did see him attempt a three-pointer and make one. But look at his shot chart this season. It's wild how little he doesn't shoot outside the paint. But he's six foot ten. He's incredibly fast. He can be a very good defensive player. I don't think Philly gives up on him completely for a CJ McCollum type player who is, who kind of is what he is and is approaching 30 years old. I think Philly says no. Next question comes from Charles Petagene. Charles, I might've said that one wrong, but I gave him my best shot. Charles asks, not much of a question, but what's your take on the whole NBA title or bust thing? I'm assuming you're pretty against that. I feel like many fans on this team don't appreciate how historically consistent and good the Blazers have been. Charles, Here's the problem with how historically good the Blazers have been. They've basically always been a playoff team. They're one of the most, in just terms of playoff postseason appearances, the one of the most successful franchises across all American sports. And that type of pretty goodness wears on teams. Being pretty good, being the sixth seed in the West every year for literally your entire life, doesn't sit well with fans after several decades. But in general, your assumption is right. I don't think the title or bust thing makes sense. Uh, I thought the Blazers had an incredibly successful season last year and they got just destroyed in the Western Conference Finals. Tossed to the side. I think there's a lot of ways to have a good season. You don't have to win a ring. The Blazers made the mistake of talking a lot about rings this summer, which really raised expectations, which have made this already bad start feel a lot worse. But yeah, I think there's a lot of ways. I think you can I don't think you need to get a Larry O'Brien trophy to have a good year. And the Blazers aren't getting a Larry O'Brien trophy this year, so it's time to talk about what would be a good year at this point. Okay, coming back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. But first, let'll tell you guys about Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial now. You can choose one audiobook two Audible originals absolutely free. Just visit audible.com slash locked on MBA. If you're listening on the go and you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all the other offers from locked on sponsors at locked slash offers. All right. Closing out mailbag Monday with more of your questions. This next one comes from Timmy at PDX Timmy on Twitter who asks, Is this the Nas Little you expected to see in Portland this season based on your time watching him play at UNC, or is he playing above slash below your expectations? For this one, Timmy, let's go to the tape. I recorded what you're about to hear as a part of a September 5th season preview, giving a best case scenario for what Nazir Little's rookie year would be like. The best case scenario for Nazir Little is that the NBA game fits his skill set better, and with more space, he has more room to attack and do what he does best. The best case for Nazir Little is that he's not only dressed in every game this season, but that he challenges Rodney Hood and Kent Bazemore for playing time on the wing, and is talented enough to create a roster crunch for Terry Stotts. The best case scenario is that Terry Stotts, when he puts together his lineup every night, has to try to figure out where can I fit Nazir Little in because he deserves to play, not because we want to play him. The best case for Nazir Little is also that with a clearly defined spot as a role player and not a maybe star that he can settle into his strengths, develop as a spot-up shooter, while continuing to use his quickness and explosiveness to be a mismatch offensively. The best case scenario is that he isn't just a guy with an NBA frame as a teenager, but an NBA player, very early in the season. The part I didn't play from that audio just now is when I said I didn't think he would play all season long. So to answer your question, Timmy, I think he's hitting my absolute best-case scenario expectations because he's a role player who really understands what the Blazers are asking him to do and he's a contributor, but there's no way I saw this coming. Still can't shoot. That was a problem at UNC. Not a great dribbler. That was a problem at UNC. But his athleticism and his energy, things that he always brought, even in a limited role at Carolina, have really come out. Okay, next question comes from... Al Synthesis, at Al Synthesis on Twitter, who asks, why do the Blazers always have the same facial hair? It's not bad, but it's strange. It's been a few years. I asked for follow-up on this because I love this question. Al Synthesis says that basically everyone on the Blazers for the last few seasons has had the Billy Goat style facial hair. And the best way I can answer that question is because the NBA is like, there's a lot of cool dudes. It's the cool dude facial hair. And also, maybe because Damon CJ can't grow full beards, so if they're going to do a little facial hair action, it's going to be the Billy Goat. Love the observation, love the question. Thanks, Al Synthesis. This next one comes from Logan Giles, who asks, who would win a game of one-on-one, Melo versus Hoodie? I'm going to go Carmelo Anthony, because I think he's a little stronger. And I'm also, let me tell you what I'm imagining here. A lot of times when I would see guys play ones after practice at at the Blazers practice facility, it would be like you catch the ball on the block and you get three dribbles and you're just allowed to score from there. Melo would, I think, have a distinct advantage in that setting. The other way I've seen guys play ones is you get the ball at the top of the key and you have three dribbles. Probably taking Melo there too because he's a little better to pull up, but I do think they have really similar games. And Hood could give him a run for his money, but if they play, usually they would. Uh, when you, when I would see these one-on-one games, you'd play like five games to three, taking Mello three-two in a in one that goes the distance. Next question comes from J- Jacob Folk at Jacob Folk Nine on Twitter, who asks, "Where do you see the Blazers post Lillard's new contract? Would Ant Zach Nazir be the next core? How would an older Dame and CJ fit into that group?" Man, we are a long way from that, Jacob. Both Dame and CJ could be here through the 2024 season. Chances are two of those three guys, Ant, Nazir, and Zach Collins, won't even be on the team then, just the way rookie contracts and money work out. So while it's not totally out of the question the way the Blazers retain rookies that all those guys will be part of the core, quote-unquote, seems more likely that the Blazers will take a drastic pivot post-Dame and CJ than, say, Turning it over to the young guys who are already on the roster. I think there's a chance that happens, but if I had to bet, those guys are not necessarily part of a, like the next core, the five years down the road core, as much as they are part of this window over the next three to four seasons that the Blazers have them. Next question comes from Brendan O'Donnell at Brendan O'Donnell on Twitter, the O is a zero, shout out to Brendan, who asks, what defensive insult should I have ready for this Thanksgiving weekend when one of my family members inevitably makes a joke towards me about how bad the Blazers have been playing? There are two options here. One, you remind them of the Blazers' incredible success. But that doesn't work, because who cares about the past? Here's the joke you go with were you able to return that Steph Curry jersey when you bought that LeBron James Lakers jersey? That'll work. If they're a fan of literally any other team in the Warriors and the Lakers, they have very little position to talk smack. I guess they could be a Raptors fan. But if you don't have a bunch of Raptors fans sitting around the table at Thanksgiving dinner, just pull the previous insult. It's a winner. Okay, to close the show, we're going to ask, gonna answer a question that just just didn't work out. Hart was in the right place, but didn't work out. Sydney asks, this is Sydney Isa 96 who sent this uh, tweet to me before the Blazers played the Bulls tonight, and asks, if the Blazers have lost to Chicago, the Chicago game by the time you record this, thus going 1-5 in the road trip, can fans officially hit the panic button? And listen, I was ready to lead with this question and say, yes, it is time to panic. This team stinks. But I'll say this. The Blazers have obvious flaws. But the way the offense looked at full strength, this is the first time we've seen all the dudes ready. You kind of saw what they might be able to be like. It's four perimeter players who can all score, Dame, CJ, Hood, and Carmelo Anthony, with a big roaming big man in the middle, Hassan Whiteside, who has his flaws, but is a gigantic person, no doubt about it. And you saw the shades of a team that can be at least dangerous on offense. Interestingly dangerous on offense with enough weapons and that starting group to really have really give give opponents at least something to think about. You can't just straight up double team Damian Lillard with those type of offensive players. But the Bulls stink beating a really bad team was absolutely necessary for the Blazers. But if you were hovering over the panic button before this Bulls game you can back your hand off a little bit. Don't put the panic button away. But you don't have to smash it just yet. The Blazers have a little bit of hope because they have some, I think, when fully healthy, if they can stay healthy, they have a chance to be a you know a 500-type team. They can pull this thing back out of the gutter. They still have a lot of flaws. They're not going to be a good defensive team. I don't think they're going to be a good rebounding team. But that but Sydney, if you had waited an hour and a half to send me that tweet, you probably would have phrased it a little bit differently, so I'm gonna answer it a little bit differently. Don't panic yet. The Blazers aren't very good, but it ain't over. Season's just beginning. The bottom half of the West is not totally pulling away from the from the Blazers. They're still a team that could make a run and be a playoff type team. They're not winning championships this year. Might want to put that dream away. But like I said earlier. There's a lot of ways to have success. Appreciate you guys listening. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Love these Monday mailbags. If you want to be involved, shoot me a question at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or watch the skies early Monday morning when I solicit questions. More games this week. More podcasts coming. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.